When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Yes, you are. Hello there. Hi. You're here? Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Also, mmm, guten tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's du? Guten tag, Herr Devine. Wie geht's good. Wie geht's good. Ah, fantastico. Now listen, lots of uh, exciting football to watch, uh, no, that we did watch this weekend. Mm, Chelsea Spurs, that was a game of football. Also, Man United won uh, late draw. Drama at Old Trafford. Norwich winning two games on the bounce there. The Tifo curse as I live and breathe. Southampton also held Manchester City. Very exciting for Alex here. Um, about, about as exciting as you can get. Uh, also uh, other games. But I tell you what, uh, AFCON was fun this weekend. The knockout stages have, of course, begun. And we'll be talking a little bit about that, including, goodness me, what fun I had watching the penalty shootout between Burkina Faso and... Um, Gabon. Watch the whole game. I've I've never known you to be quite so engaged in a football match as you were in that. You were all over the WhatsApp group. You were really enjoying the football. Yeah, I loved it. Do you know what? Delicious. I was licking it up like a lovely ice cream. But we'll come back and talk about that. I thought someone had stolen your phone. Actually, well, you have know, I, have I muted the WhatsApp group? Because I don't, I don't think I've got any <laughs> of those. It, Seb describes our personal WhatsApp as the WhatsApp group. Oh, know? I'm not in that. I throw a lot of. Uh, well, you can't be in someone else's DM, can you? Mm, I mean, you can, but we'll talk about that later. Well, I tell you what. You know what? It's a bit like being in a DM there. The Athletic, that's right. Because it, the people send you information that it really feels like it's a secret, off-the-book stuff. But it's not. It's just well-researched by good journalists. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Imagine having a friend at every football game who would text you things and say, this is happening, this is happening. You'd feel so in the know. ITK, yeah? You don't need that. You just need The Athletic. And you can get a 30-day free trial. Try out that friend for free. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, that's all for today's introduction. Um, lots of football to get through, so we'll crack on. I will uh, now leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of uh, penalty shootouts in the African Cup of Nations. Yes, welcome. Now, before we get to AFCON, uh, let's do a little bit of the Premier League. Chelsea 2, nil Spurs there, Seb. Bit disappointing for you and the other Spurs fans out there, but it was uh, probably on the cards, wasn't it? Because uh, one team's better than the other. Hey, one team is much better than the other. And it felt kind of inevitable. I think Spurs played quite well for 45 minutes. They came to Stamford Bridge with four different fullbacks, which was, not sure innovative is the right word, but smart sensible and it was okay for a while it was okay Chelsea didn't really create anything in the first half and then a little bit I I, I think the game was lost in a way that everybody knew it was going to be there was going to be a one-on-one matchup Spurs' lack of ability in certain areas is going to be exposed and somebody was going to take advantage of that and that person was Hakim Ziyech hey with a, a really beautiful goal it was like the goal version of do you remember the pass the famous one from the Champions League where he's caught on camera from probably a camera just on the touchline and it's right behind him and he, he just missiles a pass from touchline to touchline I think it was the, the goal version of that because the camera was not in a similar position but a similar angle and uh very nice finish. And then there was another, not so nice finish, but another goal from Thiago Silva, which was, blah. Well, there was a third finish, of course, which was the you know one of the big talking points of the game here. But we're a bit divided in the TIFO studio. It was interesting to talk to you about that, Seb, as it was happening. I was furious, as appeared to be everyone who wasn't a Chelsea fan who lives here in the UK and was watching it on Sky, including Gary Neville doing the commentary, uh, couldn't quite believe what had happened. 
Whereas, you know, Seb over there in uh, in Deutschland, no one seems to think much of it, which was interesting to me. I thought it was definitely a goal. I can't understand how it wasn't. I know he touches. I mean, the, the incident that we're referring to for anyone who hasn't watched the game, Kane, little hand on the back of Thiago Silva, who sort of flies 100 metres away uh, before hitting the ground and rolling around. Kane then uh, scores a goal immediately after that. I mean, it was a very light hand, wasn't it? It was, but then we, we, we already said that we would WhatsApping during the game and you were so outraged by it that I thought you were referring to a different match. I was outraged, yeah. My rage was out. Because you've been talking about the Gabon game and I just assumed that it was something that had happened in there. But as soon as you see that free frame of, of Kane with his hand on Thiago Silva's I think, back, I know who he overreacts. I know he goes down voluntarily, but it, I would have been stunned had it been given. Thing is though, right, thing is... Seb's put, you know, nailed on a, a firm point here, Alex. If you and I went on a camping holiday near a cliff, a precipice, hmm, and someone took a photo of us, you're standing on the edge, my hand is on your back, yeah? I could be about to grab you and pull you back. I could be about to push you. I could just be placing a, a, a nice firm hand on the back, a little bit of reassurance, perhaps something went wrong for you that day. Uh, the photo might make it look like I'm pushing you off the cliff. Mm. But I'm not doing that, right? I mean, maybe I am, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. I might think about it, but I, I'm not actually doing it in the moment. Yeah. This is the thing with VAR. You see the freeze frame, as Seb says it there. Of course it looks like he's pushing him over. Well, this, this is also the thing with um, stuff that's slowed down. Yeah. Is that the, the contact and challenges can look considerably worse. Obviously, it's really hard for referees when things are happening in actual time. Mm -hmm. And so you get this weird disparity between them almost kind of second guessing roughly based on what they've seen and then having the opposite end of the spectrum where things are played through frame by frame by frame. Yeah. And things can look horrendous. And it is just like you are going to get those sorts of errors. It yeah. looked soft to me. But also it is understandable that it was given because that sort of contact is the kind of thing that, you know, you can get a free kick or a penalty for if it were the other way around. Sure, so. sure. No, I understand. Uh, there are, of course, other incidents from recent games where the opposite decision has been taken. I'd like to put a hard line down on this. I think if you can fall over that easily because of your momentum and the direction of your travel and the position of your body, then you're not properly positioned. And um, in which case, I think you deserve you deserve it, a little punishment, a bit of get. punishment. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's it's very difficult. I mean, I'm always a little bit dubious. These are strong physical athletes who yeah. do seem to be able to adjust the degree of force that it takes for them to fall down. I think if I ran at full easily, speed into Thiago Silva, I'd break every bone in my body. Probably bounce off him. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think I think he's quite smart. Like I, I think he takes an amazing risk because sure. if he does what he does and the referee doesn't respond to it, it looks extremely silly. Mm. But I think you, you guys hit the nail on the head there because he's moving, he's off balance. Kane is going to roll him, and I don't know if he's going to score, but he's going to get the shooting opportunity. His best option at that point is to feel the contact and to throw himself over, knowing that nine times out of ten a referee responds to that, particularly at home. If that if that challenge happens next to the corner flag, mm -hmm. then. It get given. It, it always gets given. It's a convention in the game. It, sure. It's not necessarily right, but it's just what happens. And I, I think he he played the situation perfectly. It's unlucky, but I, I think um, it's a, an experienced defender's yeah. actions. I think we have a kind of natural bias because of the way that we view defenders versus other players. Like we expect them to be more physical and tougher. And therefore, if the circumstance were reversed and a striker went down under a similar challenge from a defender, there would be much less. Yeah, uh, debate around like, is it. is that a penalty? Yeah. Oh, that's that's not a penalty. If that no no chance no. But there's also less derision and less shock. I think if it's a defender sure. doing it to a striker. I was shocked. You you were. I was outraged. I, and and I I would have known that if I had. Been I got caught in your up WhatsApp in. Group. I got caught up in it. That's part of watching football, isn't it? The commentators Gary Neville was upset about it, and I, I got upset with with Gary. People in my Twitter feed were saying that's ridiculous. This, I got upset this, with them. You know, I'm part of the why gang. I don't watch it with the sound on. No, sure. Because so much of what of how you process a game is in how you enjoy a game <laughs> yeah enjoy what <laughs> but no how this, this is a serious point how much yeah. how much how you feel in response to what happens is informed not necessarily by what you're seeing and actually thinking but by mm. what those commentators are saying sure oh i'm outraged this is the worst thing i've ever seen and yeah naturally you're going to go oh yeah no it is outrageous oh i got riled up for sure, sure. Yeah. whereas if you watch it 
irrespective of that, you can just appreciate the people moving around yeah. in patterns. Do you think maybe we've reached a kind of a new era of VAR outrage one-upmanship where- Maybe. I think saw in the Palace game, which we'll probably talk about, Every VAR decision which happens now is the worst VAR decision of all time. Mm. It, it feels a little bit forced, like people are playing a role a little bit. I do slightly struggle to care about <laughs> decisions. Football. Yeah, sure, that also. <laughs> but but it, it seems like it, it's weird that so much energy is focused on debating decisions retrospectively. If it's happened, it's happened. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like the decision's <laughs> already been made. I, mm -hmm. I know that's what we've just been doing for the last five minutes, which is why you're grinning at me. Just in that thinking about way. Alex's past there. Listen, Alex, okay. if it's happened, it's happened. Sure. Yeah. You've got to let that stuff go I have, now. I have let yeah. most of it I go. didn't actually push you off the cliff. No. It's but okay. I did think about it. But, anyway, a yeah. good thing here is that I was so outraged, maddened, furious. Not really, but I was annoyed that I changed the channel and went back to watching. Burkina Faso versus uh, Gabon, which turned out to be an excellent decision because Alex, what a fantastic game. I, it was it was crazy, wasn't it? And it was uh, brilliant. I think they finished on 16 yellow cards. Mm -hmm. uh, we think 16 because maybe there was a yellow, uh, there was certainly uh, the, um, the Gabon goalkeeper, Aminone, uh, he was uh, booked for, was I don't know, time-wasting yeah. or whatever. But then I think another player was booked as well. Possibly. I mean, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's 16 if you count Abisa's two yellow cards that sure. result in the red as two yellow cards. Um, which you do. Which you do. Yeah. It makes sense, doesn't it? But yeah, it was fantastic. There was so much to enjoy about that. Uh, Kanga's performance for Gabon, playing these lovely through passes, Gabon's. Mm. It's that nice kind of tactical thing you get where you see a team doing the same thing repetitively but in a simple straightforward way that makes yeah. sense playing out particularly to the wide right back then you have Burkina Faso on the other side with Kabore playing exceptionally well at right back I didn't realize that he was on loan from Man City yes yeah, someone uh, asked me last night how, how he performed and I said I don't know I don't yeah, know I didn't was, really know many of the players really good. Right. Um, and then Bertrand Traore having this wonderful I mean the finish for the goal was phenomenal that was great so, what a great so finish good because yeah. what a great finish the goalkeeper should have done better there but he had the tightest angle to try and force that past the goalkeeper. He also then hooned one over from 40 yards from a free kick. Which I really admired absolutely that. Absolutely hilarious. That was my favourite bit of the game. When he finally went off, you could tell he like he just physically he was had reached his. Uh, well, it was limits. probably 30 degrees. Yeah, and and they you know they were they were chasing the game quite yeah. a lot of the time because Gabon seemed mostly more measured on the ball and were able to pass it around more. Burkina Faso mm -hmm. were playing a little bit more on the break. Yeah, uh, and then of course you had the drama of the late equaliser and then penalties. And yeah, it just it was a great game. How how did the equaliser go in? I think it was sort of off a shoulder, wasn't it? In the I, end? It, it was headed down by Mangala onto the sort of left shoulder of a Burkina Faso defender and then bobbled up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Because it seems to gather pace after it rebounds off somebody, but I, I didn't see an angle which showed conclusively what happened after the initial. Yeah, I think that's I think that's roughly what yeah. happened. Yeah, well, it was interesting, of course, because by this point Gabon were down to to ten men. I think around the sixties or seventy minute mark, Burkina Faso had several chances to score. As you mentioned, they, they took off Bertrand Traore around eighty minutes, who looked completely pooped. But before mm. that, he was certainly their uh, their main attacking threat or at least the player who looked most likely to score I suppose <laughs> although he probably couldn't have played on anyway due to his uh, condition they wouldn't have realised at that time they would have to play for a further 40 minutes and no one really looked like winning it in extra time I wasn't sure if both teams were just happy to settle with penalties or not I wouldn't have thought Burkina Faso would be against 10 men but uh, it was fascinating and the tired of the players got the more interesting extra time got yeah I think you get that that lovely chaotic element that, that comes into games when when players are just exhausted. Yeah. Um, every possession could be a goal. Every, pos every possession could be a goal. Someone could do something majestic or yeah. incredibly unfortunate yeah. slash stupid. Yeah. And it really kind of ebbed and flowed back and forth. And I, I thought, like, from the outset, I thought Gabon looked very much on top for the first sort of five or ten minutes of the game. Yeah. I suppose the dynamic continued in that sort of way. Like, they looked calmer in possession. They looked like they had a bit more creativity, but then Burkina Faso... Looked more likely to score. Looked more likely to score through individual moments, yeah. through driving particularly. 
down that right-hand side. It, it was just a great matchup yeah. between two very fun teams. Do you know what it made me think? I know this wouldn't be good for the health of the players, Seb. Of course it wouldn't. And we spend a lot of time talking about how much football there is. But it did make me think if you could have every football game where the players had been forced to run for 90 minutes before the game starts, that would make football a lot more fun. Hmm? Or it, may, it would make it much worse because the lack of sure. conditioning would mean that everyone would be very, very negative as they kind of tend to be in extra time periods, which are notoriously right. poor to watch. So motion defeated. Well, a bubble pop there. Yeah. The penalty shootout also was uh, was very, very exciting. Great I felt shootout. I felt very sorry, Seb, for uh, Amanome, who was the, uh, the Gabon uh, goalkeeper, because I thought he looked the more confident of the two throughout the game. Of course, he made the mistake for the Burkina Faso goal. But Kofi, the, uh, the Burkina Faso goalkeeper, he looked so nervous in the shootout. Mm. He made a couple of great saves, but he looked very nervous. Well, I, I think you would be, though, because... For you, sure, yeah. Yeah, but, but also, I, I suppose, when you get to that part of a game and you've been playing against 10 men for so long, like, I think you ordinarily say that for most teams, by the time the penalty shooter comes around, it's not a lottery, but it's described as such. In that situation, if you lose that game after having had that advantage, eh, it's difficult. Yeah. I think it's a kind of... And also, like, I, I suppose, extra expectation on him as well. And you're right, like, he did look nervous, but he, I think he looked really, really good. Like, his reach for some of those penalties. Yeah. There are a couple that he didn't save that he got very, very close to. I was super impressed by him. Mm. The one that he forced so that it kind of like bubbled yeah. into the, the top the side of the yeah. net. Like he was so close. I mean, mm -hmm. that would have been a phenomenal save. Yeah, would have been great. You, you know what I admire about goalkeepers lately is the is that technique they have where they take a stride forward, keep a foot on the line and still manage to make a save or get across the ball because that's like when they slow it down to kind of freeze frame territory, you see how well timed it is because they managed to extract all the advantage of getting forward whilst also remaining legal in the penalty. It's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's not remarkable. That might be overselling it, but it's a kind of an understated aspect of modern goalkeeping, I think. No, it's very marginal. Another thing, you know, when I was watching the penalty shootout, it wasn't just Kofi who looked nervous. Lots of the players stepping up did. And it made me think I was listening to to Wrighty's house the other day, the Ian Wright's podcast on the, the Ringer FC. Um, and they were talking, I think Carl Anker was on this episode. They were talking about what it means to the players because most of the teams at AFCON, some of them will have one or two superstars or one or two very established players in bigger leagues. But lots of the teams, almost all of them, are a mixture of established and good players and then players from all around the world. It's very clear, uh, you know, from, from sort of historical patterns that if a team does well in AFCON, the team is well scouted and the players that are part of that are well scouted. So I think they used the example of, of Sadio Mane talking about the Senegal team or, or Mo Salah talking about the Egypt team. They not only kind of carry uh, the hopes of the country on their backs as they go through these tournaments as superstar players, they also carry their teammates' hopes as well because the further they make it in the tournament, the more it means to the rest of the players. So I can understand, uh, you know, perhaps in, in, in place of the World Cup where almost every player short of some teams is already very well established or very well scouted. The Euros to a lesser extent, but, you know, somewhere somewhere in the middle. With AFCON, I can understand why it would be perhaps more nerve-wracking to step up for a, for a penalty in that scenario. I think it's also, it's really important for some of the, the players who aren't in major European leagues to get to a stage of the tournament where they're pitted in direct opposition to a, not necessarily a superstar, because if you're, as a defender, you probably don't want to come up against Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah. But you want to come up against someone who has a reputation so that they can provide a kind of flattering context. If you're a centre-back who, who has a good game against, let's say, Kelechi Iheanacho, who's a, a very good player without being like a you know world-beating one, and you have a good game, that's the kind of thing that a scout would probably take as useful context back to their club or back to their employer. Um, so getting the opportunity to have that game is probably part of it for a lot of players. It's a very strange scenario because also from a team-building perspective, because Unlike World Cups and European Championships, I suppose AFCON represents a lot of different players from different ends of the spectrum, all in one. So you get your superstars, uh, you know, coming into a team camp and, and everybody has to be on the same page and everybody has to be similarly dedicated. And that's got to be, um, it's got to be quite a feat in team management, I would have thought. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree with that. Well, a couple more things uh, related uh, to this game or related to AFCON. There was a moment in, uh, I can't remember if it was the first or second half, Bupenza's offside goal. Do we remember this? Do you remember, do you remember this goal? It was the, the ball that came across from the sort of centre of the pitch out to the left and then yeah. was squared back. Yeah, I mean, Pepenza was 
a millimetre offside. And he makes yeah. a run towards the near post. He cuts back, beats the defender, and then shoots and beats the goalkeeper. And I watched that. I remember thinking, that's an example for me. I know it's very difficult to legislate for this, but that's an example of a goal for me where he has no advantage mm. being offside in that scenario. He literally comes back onside with the ball before he scores. And in the position from which he scores, the context of that, the players involved... I mean, it's not an advantage. No, and we were we were talking about it because I was allowed into that WhatsApp. Sure, group, sure, sure, sure. Just our group. Yeah, uh, you weren't. Seb, sorry. Um, oh no, actually, we're doing <laughs> like Twitter, everyone talking we? to me. It's just in a group when it's just talking to me. <laughs> but yeah, his 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 momentum there was all the other way. Mm-hmm. Like he was initially offside when the ball was prior to being passed. It's a horrible sentence. So, sure, yeah. Um, Carry on. And so by moving backwards in order to get, like he recognised he was offside, he needed to get back onside. So there is no advantage to no. him in terms of that kind of momentum you get if you're tripping forward trying to stay onside yeah. because you're heading in the direction that the ball's going. It just seemed bizarre. And like you say, he had so much to do after that point. Like, it seems arbitrary it to rule so the goal out. It was so annoying. I mean, Seb, uh, you know, very um, high concept stuff here for referees. But uh, is there any option at all, do you think, to perhaps institute a new rule where if you can manage to get back on side with possession within a second or, or three seconds of receiving the ball, maybe we can change the rule? Or add an extra complicated letter to the offside rule? No. That's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. No. Goodness, no. No, let's not do that. Let's absolutely not do that. There's two problems. Firstly, uh, the way fans interpret it and use it as a kind of more evidence for conspiracy, but also you're allowing kind of refereeing inadequacy to flow into these kind of nebulous areas. Not, I'm not in favour. What a downer. Yeah. To finish on a positive note, though, can I just Mm. mention... Obviously, we talked about Bertrand Traore's finish, but mm. the pass from Bande that set that goal up. Lovely. With the outside of his left foot curling it around. Yeah. I mean, that's... Like, if, if someone plays that pass in the Premier League, it's going on highlight reels all week long. Yeah. So... There we go. Hey, on, on a Premier League standard pitch as well, to play that pass on that yeah. pitch... Pretty decent, pretty decent technique. Just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Here's another observation I made uh, watching this game. And I did an interesting way. I, I, I was uh, settling down, uh, getting ready to watch the Chelsea Spurs game. But Burkina Faso Gabon was already on. So I, I started to watch that. Half four came and went. I didn't bother changing channel because it was a fun game. Mm. And then at half time in the in the Burkina Faso game, I changed to, to Tottenham Chelsea. Eh, a little boring. Saw the Kane thing. Eh, changed back. The thing I noticed changing between these two games, the sound. <laughs> I much preferred the, the crowd sound at Afcon. So much, much a much happier sound. The sound of uh, of, of Stamford Bridge, not specifically Stamford Bridge. The sound, of, the sound of English football. When you watch a different kind of football, you can hear the differences. I don't like the sound of English football. Maybe that's a, a controversial thing to say. It just sounds like a lot of people being upset. A little bit of singing, yeah. you know. I also I like the sound. Are they, is, it, is, it, is it vuvuzelas or different kinds of horns? I don't know what they are, but it, yeah, I like the sound. Some steel drums in there as well. Different games. I like right. the drum yeah, sound. Yeah, cool. yeah, I like that, you, that. I like that there are a few people you can sort of make out individual people speaking. I, I don't understand what they're saying, but you know they all sound very happy. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it more. Yeah. So you know, yeah. there's an aesthetic. Gabon, though, Seb. Before we move on, what's the deal with the Bamiyang? Because I, I read lots of sort of contradiction. I'm not sure if you can answer this question or not, but I've read lots of contradictory reports in the last couple of weeks about why he was being sent home. I mean, he didn't feature for them at all in the, in the tournament. You know, I, I noticed a few people saying yesterday, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, Gabon even would have got this far, you know, with Aubameyang in, in the team. Is there a price for sort of team unity or whatever over having a, a, a superstar? But, but what's, what's going on there? Uh, really hard to answer because the different versions of the truth are so disparate and clearly there is some kind of disinformation going on, which is hard to understand why. I think I have a little bit of bias here because obviously there were some disciplinary issues that he suffered at Dortmund towards the end of his time there. The issues at Arsenal are fairly well documented. He's had a few problems with being on time for team meetings and uh, some well-publicized problems with Mikel Arteta. And so one of the stories is that he went out and disobeyed a curfew somehow with a teammate. And you kind of, I think because of some of the things that have happened before, you're inclined to believe that. But that doesn't seem fair because where does kind of the stories about the medical condition come in and, you know, 
And then since he returned to England, Arsenal have said, no, there's no problem with his heart. Because that's a very serious thing to say. It's not like, oh, he's he's tweaked a muscle in his back or he... Well, the suggestion that I... Uh, the the rumours that I read or the reports that I read were suggesting that he had heart lesions. Yeah, which That's why he was sound. being sent home. Yeah. And I think, if I'm right, I might be wrong, but I think Aubameyang then came out himself and said, well, this, this isn't true. And then there was a report that was from a local journalist, which was then re-reported in Le Keep over the weekend, saying that he had actually been sent home for disciplinary reasons. I'm not sure whether that's true or not. It's just a confusing situation. Yeah, and also to be conspiratorial, you think, well, who benefits from which version of that truth? And that's a little bit of a rabbit hole. So I don't know. I, I suspect it's one of those where you'll never actually know what happened <coughs> and why he wasn't there. But sure. uh, his career is a funny thing. If you look back at the different episodes yep. and the sort of the ups and downs, it's, a, it's kind of been a very uneven five or six years, I think. It's been, uh, it's a strange player. Good yeah. player. But. Well, the rest of the news from Aubameyang this morning, as well as there was a shout that he might have been loaned out to a club in, in, in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't look like that's happening. So I'm curious to see what happens with him for the rest of the season. But there we go. Though, of course, there are a couple of AFCON games happening today. When we, as we're recording this, by the time you're listening, they will have occurred. I was quite excited over the weekend, Seb, uh, because the rumours were that uh, Komaros, who had quite a bad uh, COVID spread throughout the camp, had lost all of their goalkeepers and had trained on Sunday with uh, one of their outfield players in goal. And <laughs> I think I speak for all football fans, apart from those of Komaros. I would be very excited to see that. It sounds now like it's not going to happen, like one of the keepers has actually tested negative this morning before the game. So, a bit of a shame there, again, apart from the, the people of Comoros, who I'm sure think that's not a shame, that's a good thing. I was, I was just going to say, um, it's worth pointing out for people who are interested in AFCON and want additional details, that the theanalyst.com, which is a site, I think, run by Stats Perform, has really good detailed breakdown stats of everything that's happening in Afghanistan. Oh. So it's more comprehensive than anywhere else I found. And it's really interesting because if you look at chances created from open play, joint second is Ibrahim Sangare of the Cote d'Ivoire. There we go, always pushing his own agenda, Just, Alex Stewart. Well, also, there. weirdly, the uh, best player is Sofiane Buffal, who struggled to make an impact at Southampton other than scoring right. a couple of absolutely incredible goals, well, um, but is really doing well. There we go. Yeah. Did you did you watch Nigeria-Tunisia? I didn't, <clears throat> no. no. no Seb, did you watch that one? Because, of course, the big story there is Nigeria winning every group game, nine points, early favourites for the tournament as a result of that and then losing to Tunisia 1-0 yeah it was a real shame because I've really enjoyed watching Nigeria this tournament but they probably deserve to go out I thought Tunisia played really well I thought um, Elias Shirky who is midfielder for Cologne in the Bundesliga had a really really good game mm. he's a really interesting midfielder he's like he, he certainly is he's weird very strong defensively but also very good at dribbling and press resistance. So the, th the thing about him is the trick with him is sometimes he can look a little bit clumsy, but he's not. And I think that kind of puts people off on a kind of initial glance. But the... So the old eye test. A little bit, yeah. So he's, mm. he's someone that's worth digging into the data about. But game's biggest moment probably, or two, the goal, uh, goalkeeper should save it for people who watch it. It's one of those which swerves across a goalkeeper's body and goalkeeper's not quick and strong enough, uh, unfortunately. But also the red card for Alex Awobi. And having said earlier in the podcast that we should all stop getting bothered about uh, VAR decisions, I'm absolutely outraged by that VAR decision because... <laughs> it's the worst VAR decision yet. Uh, it is the worst one of all time because Alex mentioned this earlier if you slow things down enough you can find intent you can find malice and you can make egregious challenges out of things which are just football accidents sometimes sure and Alex Wawabi is trying to control a ball he's trying to sort of shield it from a, a, a Tunisian player that's trying to tackle him and he goes a little high on the ankle and the referee quite rightly gives him a yellow card it absolutely warrants a yellow card is the tackle bad enough whereby on the VAR review it needs to be, it's a clear and obvious mistake and it needs to be upgraded to a red card? No, no, no. Yeah. A few people disagree with me. Our friend Karl Anker disagreed with me on Twitter and I, I could kind of understand it. I just feel like it's one of those where... He, did you say Karl Anker disagreed with you? Yeah, yeah. He, he um, Then he's no friend of ours. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Carl um, Carl Carl voted red card. I just, if, if the referee gives a red card straight away, okay. I think I, what I take issue with is is VARs need to interfere with a decision which the referee has seen already. He's mm. punished with a yellow card and that's sufficient. Has something terrible happened 
beyond the referee's sight. No. That's the area of VAR that I find hardest is the... I find it really maddening. It's the discrepancy between what constitutes a yellow and what constitutes a red. Because mm. there are certain... Like, you can completely understand going back and checking an offside call. Yeah. You can understand using VAR for off-the-ball incidents, which yeah. obviously is one of the things it was used for in rugby quite a lot because yeah. stuff happens off the ball a lot in rugby. Referees have discretion and they can weigh what they perceive to be intent, right. momentum, height. Well, let's draw another hypothetical ball, here, right? Those kinds of things. Another hypothetical. I come to your door oh God. at late at night. You don't yeah? know where I live. There's a CCTV. Uh, well, I know you live within a five minute walk of a particular rail station, so I'm sure I'll be able to find it. Okay. Uh, you the CCTV at the door. You can hear and see everything that occurs as the exchange between us, but I've got a threatening demeanor, right? Mm -hmm. And I've cast a tone across this environment, which causes you to feel fear, understandably. Mm -hmm. I have, I oppose a big, large physical threat to you, okay? But I don't actually, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, I'm not flattering, I'm, I'm fattering myself okay. to pose an even larger threat. You are quite loomy. Thank you, I'm looming. I mean, in a doorway later night, you'll be very loomy. Absolutely, I'm filling the doorway for sure. Uh, the point I'm making is the CCTV records the vision and sound of that exchange. I don't do or say anything which theoretically could be construed as threatening, mm. but you know the threat's there, mm. yeah? Yeah, but that's an interesting. How does this point? relate to what we were saying? Why I did I start I saying really this? No, but but in in term in in those instances, so like, oh, intent because of intent. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you it can only read that in the moment. Yeah, but obviously, a, a footballer who's just been on the end of a challenge that causes them some sort of pain or whatever, that yeah. they're the last person that you should ask about the other player's intent. Sure. Because clearly for, for sporting advantage, but also because they've just been clattered. Well, we don't let the, the, the victim decide the outcome of the trial. No, no, uh, no. But the victim does give evidence. Sure. It? But I, I think that's the point that the referee is this impartial observer who weighs those things up, mm. and looks at it and, uh, and makes those assessments. It just feels like that's the one where the subjectivity is most called yeah. into question. But the subjectivity is also really important for the process of refereeing and referees having that autonomy on the pitch to be yeah. able to make their own decisions. Otherwise, they're constantly in fear that any decision they make is going to be second-guessed by VAR. And obviously, if they have to change a decision, that's effectively VAR saying, we believe you've made a mistake. Sure. I, I have a question about that. So when was the last time either of you saw a referee go to the monitor and not go with whatever has been recommended by VAR? Sure, it's become, well, become a bit of a cliche, hasn't it? Well, yeah. it, it feels like it's it's a... It feels like it's an aesthetic designed to soften the blow of what follows next. That it's a kind of it's a sure. way of selling the the reverse decision or the altered decision. Whereas in reality, it seems a little bit certainly in this game as if the instruction to go to the the monitor takes away some of the referee's agency. Yeah, that's how. It feels well, if you go this. to watch the monitor, what is indicated to the crowd and to the viewers and to the commentary and to the media is that uh, the v VAR has decided that there is enough of a difference between what's happened and what you've said that you need to go and check it. So if you still say no, it's kind of awkward. Then it, it, it's a very like bold thing to do. And, and this yeah. this is the thing again where I can see like an off the ball incident, a referee cannot be observing the whole pitch mm -hmm. the whole time. So yeah. that is in no way a reflection of the referee's ability. Sure. An offside decision can be incredibly marginal. It can be very quick. A referee is, or an assistant referee is physically incapable mm -hmm. of looking at the pass, the sure. point at which the ball leaves the foot, and yeah. also where the play, like, or indeed so, a goal line uh, decision. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So all of these are things where VAR is like, I am helping you yes. to see things that you can't see. Otherwise. It is or it isn't. Right. Yeah. A tackle where it's like, mm, mate, that's actually a bit worse than you said it was. Sure. Like that, that's the one where the referee can be like, well... This is why also I'm a big believer in bastards as referees. I think you really need them. I really liked the... I'm not not to say he was a bastard, but I really liked the referee in the Bikina Faso Gabon game because he was mouthy, <laughs> oh. because he didn't <laughs> yeah. shut up, because he carded everyone for everything all the time. Yeah. And because I guarantee you, if he'd gone over to the, to the telly to watch the replay, that's the kind of guy yeah. who has the ganache to say, no, no, I was right the first time. Get fucked. Well, it's, like, it's what I said. Two, two, That's what you need, a bastard ref. I think two of the first five yellow cards, and after a while I stopped paying that much attention, sure, yeah. but, but were for dissent. Yeah. You know, do not talk to me like yeah. that, mate. 
And Can that's... you believe that a game with 16 yellow cards and only one red card? He yellowed everyone. Yeah, it was remarkable. Every, almost was everyone. Fire. I loved it. I loved it. Get them in. But you he need also the made good decisions. That's sure. the other thing. It was very, very hard to look at any of those and go, yeah. that was completely spurious or that that decision was wrong. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, I like it. The, the best official in the whole tournament was actually the fourth official during the game which finished after 85 minutes or was initially stopped because the referee suffered mm. from sunstroke and okay so that, that's that's yeah. fine um, needs to get treated and so you can understand how the mistake gets made but when when the whistle went on 85 minutes I think it was the it's the Tunisia game Tunisia coach comes steaming into the fourth official going what the fuck and the fourth official is just having none of it it's just like no 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 mm. you're wrong you're wrong you're, football matches last 86 minutes and that's it <laughs> That's why whatever you think of Howard Webb, he was a good referee because he didn't take crap from anybody, <laughs> even if he was wrong. And I think you need that as a referee. Yeah, even yeah, yeah. if you're wrong, you still have to say you're not. You need to be that arrogant yeah. to think, you know, yeah. I, I am absolutely unimpeachable. My version of events, it cannot be challenged. Which is why when you, every every TIFO podcast, Seb's always talking about how the referee wanted to make it about themselves, mm. you know? That's what you need. You need the referee that wants to make it about themselves. You need to stop criticizing themselves. You're a terrible person. Anyway, <laughs> later on this week, huge game in the knockout rounds. Huge game. Egypt Ivory Coast. Looking forward to that. There are, of course, some other clashes to come, uh, but that is one uh, to, if you haven't watched any AFCON yet, uh, that is one to set your diaries for, uh, Tipos, because that's going to be that's going to be a fun game to watch. One of those big teams is dropping out. It's been really fun. People should uh, make, make time just to, to catch a couple of games. It's it's been really really good. Yeah, let's see how Ibrahim Sangare can deal with Mo Salah, huh? Yeah, he's gonna destroy him. Well, there we go. I, that could be interpreted in two different ways. Uh, one or the other. You didn't name them, so you know one could destroy the other. The other destroy the one. It's like which one are you say? Great clarification, Alex Stewart. Great being vague there, so that you can say that he was right afterwards. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all for Afcon now. Very exciting stuff. Do check in. Um, we'll be back after this break because I've just noticed that that was about a forty-minute part. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ah, yes. A lovely break we had there. Manchester United won nil West Ham, Seb. The game was boring, uh, but it was very exciting at the end, wasn't it? When a goal was scored. It was one of the more exciting moments in the game when that goal was scored, yes. Mm. Uh, I'd say the most exciting moment. Probably. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's about right. I didn't I didn't watch it, I'm just assuming. No, I didn't watch it either. I mean, it's also kind of like when I, when I write, this was very boring and I leave very sparse notes in the plan, that's kind of usually the, the way I indicate that I don't really want to talk about the game. Well, in which case, let's move straight on. How, how do you... How can you say that a game was boring if you didn't watch it? Because Manchester United won West Ham nil. I mean, it just reeks of... He's so biased, isn't he? He's so biased. You know the fans that, that say journalists are biased? Mm. Almost none of them are, except Seb. <laughs> gratuitously Seb really biased. is. He just can't get over his, like, his little hatred of certain of things. Everything. Of everything. I'm completely unapologetic yeah. about all of this. Don't care. <laughs> Fine. Well, anyway, good result for Manchester United. I think, uh, you know, that takes the stretch of undefeated games to nine or something under Rangnick, which is, you know, I don't know if that's true. It's possible I've just made that up, but it's, I think that's true. It's fine. I think that's true. <laughs> Watford nil, three Norwich. Terrible weekend for Watford. Goodness me, because of course, other than Norwich beating them three nil, Norwich beating them 3-0. Yeah. Newcastle also won. Yeah. And Burnley drew with Arsenal, which yeah. we'll come uh, to mention a little bit later. And, so, and Southampton drawing, I think, also. Is Southampton also. Yeah. It's just Everton now teams. that they can, you know, go down with. Maybe it's just the two. Uh, so bad news uh, for, for Watford. Fantastic news for Norwich. Didn't watch this game. I don't think anyone did. Seb, you've written here, Joe, maybe an Uncle Damien anecdote. I haven't spoken to him. So, you know, sorry to disappoint. But there you go. You know. Good news. Josh Sargent, of course, scoring two goals there. Cousin Martin did text me to say, uh, Josh Sargent uh, lifting the Josh Sargent curse. And uh, in, uh, in in Cousin Martin's uh, depiction, passing it on 
to Michael Keane, <laughs> who indeed scored one of those goals uh, the, the other day. The other what, day. What, there what, we go. What, Does that make sense? Not in, in any way whatsoever, no. I, I don't understand why. Let, let me just read what, what he said. Curses and Uncle fine. Mark. Hold on, everyone stop talking. Everyone stop talking, because that'll be good for a podcast if everyone stops talking. Cousin Martin said, the curse of Josh Sargent has been lifted. We'll probably be heading for Europe now. He's an Orange fan. He said, my theory is that he passed the curse to Michael Keane when he turned in his cross for an own goal against Everton. Watch Keane's season slither down the toilet from here on in. There you go. It's how the ordinary fan engages with football. Cousin Martin. 10% closer to understanding, but not sufficiently so to make that little bit well, you know, yeah, okay. Let me put it in simple terms, Yusuf. You know how we've lived in a pandemic for the last couple of years there. I am aware of those conditions. And if your if your proximity, you know, is too, you know, if you're too proximately close to someone who is uh, infected with the virus, you could get it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine yeah. now that when Josh Sargent plays that cross in in the Everton game for the Michael Keane own goal. Not only the ball travels between the two players, but also the curse goes in the ball to Michael Keane. And then, you know, in Space Jam, how the little aliens, they slither into the players, a bit like that. And now what Martin is saying there, cousin Martin is saying that uh, Josh Sargent will now go on to score many goals and Michael Keane will probably have a bad season. Do you, do you understand now? I understand, but uh, curses don't work like that. Curses Southampton are... won one Man City. Very interesting here, Alex. What is it about Southampton that Man City struggle with? Because they they also, of course, drew uh, in the other game, the, the Etihad, earlier in the season. Yeah, it's it's weird. It feels like we go into a game against Man City, probably likely to take a one-goal lead, then get absolutely pumped and escape mm. with a draw. Mm. I think Hasenhutl is really good tactically against better teams. Mm. And I know I say that with us having been beaten 9-0 a couple of times and so on. But sure. the way that he slightly takes the foot off the pressing in central areas, but still harries and hassles and tries to stop teams playing through. It's not as gung-ho, for example, as Leeds do with their pressing, which is why City could destroy Leeds. Yeah. But yeah, there just seems to be a slight kind of boginess. Yeah, to a bogey it. element. I, it's, I, I mean, Hassan Hoodle's such a weird coach to assess because the, the simple fact is that Southampton's squad is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple of really good players there. Obviously, Ward Prowse is excellent. Salasu yeah. had a phenomenal game. Livramento is going to be a great player. Yeah. And, you know, oh, he was this great. This is the case. But it's not the kind of squad that you look at and go, that's built for something other than what Hassan Hootl is trying to do. Yeah. And so the fact that he's able to coax these sorts of performances out of them regularly against good teams is a really impressive testament to what he does. I worry yeah. that they're sort of two thirds of the way towards the Leeds Bielsa situation, mm. which is where, particularly in the forward line with players like Brozier and, and Adams, They've got a style of footballer who works for what Hassan Hoodle is trying to do, and that might be difficult to segue to transition out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then this is the, you know this is why you build continuity into management. Yeah. Um, he must be one of the longest running coaches in the Premier League at the moment. I mean, he's been uh, there for a, for a while now, and everyone else seems to fire their managers all the time. Yeah, I remember us talking about him as a possible Southampton manager when we were like still in the old office and that. <laughs> yeah, so it's. It's got to be at least, like, I don't know, two and a half years or something. Brozier? Yeah. What? Where did he come from? He's on loan from Chelsea. Right. I did not know about him until he started scoring loads of goals recently. Yeah, he's he's very much a kind of what you describe as a pressing forward uh, slash a kind of... He's not really a target man, but he's a big physical threat. He's young. He's aggressive in his running. Sure. And he's one of these players who looks promising enough to potentially have a I don't want to say he has a future at Chelsea but it is also worth him sticking around to find out yeah but also because of the way that Chelsea's youth system is so saturated with really good players Mm. clubs like Southampton can offer them a chance to because that's Lee Fremento came from there as well, but is an actual signing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a good pathway. And Southampton, I think um, Dan Sheldon wrote about this in The Athletic. Southampton have made it a real effort to try and focus on these younger, particularly English players, uh, Brochers Albanian, but who've come through an English youth system and are maybe slightly disaffected about the opportunities that they can get at those bigger clubs. Mm. Um, but Southampton will 
will very openly say, look, we will develop you. We're a pathway club. And then yeah. maybe you'll go back to one of these bigger clubs in the future. Sure. And that's become their kind of selling point. And Is there an option to buy with Brozier? I don't know if there's an option to buy. There mm. was some talk around his post-match press conference as if he was sort of dangling a, you know, come and get me to the team he's already at, obviously. But, sure, yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, like going back to Burkina Faso Gabon, you, you know, you have a right back playing for Burkina Faso who turns in a phenomenal performance and then yeah. you suddenly realise he's on loan at Man City. Like yeah. these these clubs do stockpile yes. very, very good young players. Well, of course, the rules are changing, so They are. The loan rules are changing. There will be a maximum number of domestic and, and international loans that you can make. Look out, clubs like Chelsea and other clubs, because you cannot no longer... You know, I remember we made a TIFA video a couple of years ago, three years ago, maybe. At the time of making that, Chelsea had 46 players on loan. Yeah, and the thing about this is that uh, if there are players who are disaffected now with their first team opportunities, that's going to intensify as these rules change, because the opportunity to actually go out and loan and play something other than under-23s football is going to diminish and so mm -hmm. I mean it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there are going to be bargains to be had but there are going to be some very very good players or some very very promising players at least on the market a lot more sort of um, Tarek Lamptey's Tino Livramento's are going to be available not just from Chelsea because they're not the only club who do this but it's going to be interesting I think that, I think that's a really good way of doing things Ante Palaversa defensive midfielder on loan from Manchester City really good player mm. I wonder whether, like, at the stage before we become aware of players, whether there's going to be a bit more of an even spread in who goes to which academy. Instead of migrating to the biggest, most decadent academies, whether players are going to go to the clubs where they can actually demonstrate a pathway and properly demonstrate a pathway, not just include it in a brochure, like use the word as if it means something. That's definitely what Southampton are hoping, because obviously they, they had that track record before and produced a swathe of good players that kind of dried up a little bit but it's definitely become a focus again now that Crocker's rejoined and obviously with the new ownership and their kind of their links to Brentford and data I, I think it could become a really good selling point for any club that's mm. not the sort of club that can go out and throw massive money at players. I wonder whether Southampton will actually inherit a little bit of a, a natural advantage because obviously Sport Republic wants Southampton to be the centrepiece of a, a multi-team network in the kind of the RB model. So if you have that and if you're able to kind of not move players around on loan, but move players from different academies sort of within the same system, that's almost a, it's almost a legitimate loophole, really. And so you actually have a far broader area where you can capture talent, but also expose it to different leagues, different cultures, and sort of different mm. learning experiences. So that's a, mm -hmm. that's a very interesting little subplot going into the next couple I like. of years, I think. I like. You know what I also like? A little guessing game. Time for a guessing game, Seven Alex. Ooh, like uh, roll up, roll up. It's points. Each of you will be awarded. Points are good in this scenario. Not bad. Previous to uh, uh, contrary reports elsewhere. Um, the longest running Premier League manager. Sean Dyche. Yes. One point to Alex. Would you care to guess how long he's been installed at Burnley for? <laughs> installed is a good uh, word. Seven and a half years. Seb, do you care to take a different guess then? Yeah, I'd say nine years. Oh, it's nine years. Two months and th 25 days. There you go. Hasenhutl uh, comes in on this list at sixth now. He would have been fifth last year, but we're at for Brentford's promotion and Thomas Frank, who's been uh, with Brentford for three years and three months, and I believe just signed a new contract to 2025 yesterday. There we go. Good news for Brentford. Hasn't he been... He was an assistant coach before, so hasn't he... I know he's only been head coach for three years, but he's been at Brentford for long. Well, I don't know. I don't make the rules of yeah, the game. I, I think I think he was only assistant coach for like a year or right, so before okay. he became the head coach. Okay. He yeah. came, was it Horsens he came from? Something like that. He, he was Horsons? Dean Smith, Horsons. one of Dean Smith's assistants. Because yeah. Rasmus Ankerson brought him in. Well, it was yeah. his recommendation, at least. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, second on the list is, of course, Jurgen Klopp, who's been at Liverpool for six years, uh, five years, uh, four or five and a half years for Pep Guardiola. Uh, amazing to see a name on this list that you wouldn't have thought you'd see on any list like this anywhere ever before. Marcelo Bielsa is the fourth longest serving Premier League manager currently in his job. Three years and six months mm. for uh, Bielsa. Surely approaching the end there. Who could say? Who would know? And also Brendan Rodgers is seventh on the list. He's a manager I consider to be a relatively recent appointment for Leicester. Not at all. Two years and ten months ago. Nearly three years ago he was appointed at Leicester. Time flies when you're having fun. Time really does fly. 
It really does. And the uh, the, the lowest one guesses for the, the least amount of time of the job. Antonio Conte. No, Antonio Conte is 15th on the list. There are uh, 14th, sorry, there are five oh. other managers that have been appointed more recently. S Steven Gerrard. Yes, that's one. Eddie Howe, Dean Smith, Ralph Rangnick, of course, 63. The, but no one's said the most recent. It's the one who's going to get sacked from Watford, whose name it is not. Me. No. Ranier, Ranieri is a 13th. Come on, guys. So recent. So recent. Been in the job for six days. Six days. Oh, Duncan Ferguson. There we go. What a fun game he's that a, was. He's not technically in the job, so... He's a caretaker manager. Has he actually got the job? Yeah, well, like you he's know. He's an interim. Yeah, That's no, the not having that at all. So, That's you know. not... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Let's have a break now. And when we come back, we will talk about other games of football that have happened. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, returning now. Everton nil, one Aston Villa. Big game there. Um, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa pulling through again. I would say that's a fairly big win, although Everton are in a bit of free fall at the moment there, Seb. Yeah, big problems. Also, no one should be under the impression that you can just make a little bit of a cosmetic change at Everton and everything will be fine. So I was, I was watching this obviously on German TV and um, mm -hmm. there was some point during the second half where the German commentator described Everton as Ser English which he didn't mean in a flattering way. Yeah, because it was very- Very English. He yeah. said it's very English. Yeah, in a sense- How dare he? In a sense that they were just, they, they, he, he kind of, he had a point because it was a little bit direct. There wasn't a lot of craft. They didn't create very much, I didn't think. But problem at Everton is not, uh, one of the problems at Everton has been the coaching, but it's not the problem. I was on Twitter this morning and I've read of their connection to a head coach who I have never heard of. Sure. Pereira, right? Never heard of him. Right. Alex? Uh, double relegation with TSV 1860. Terrible record most recently at Fenerbahce. His only two times where he's got over a 60% win ratio are with Porto and Olympiacos. Well, there we go. Yes. Well done, Alex, for knowing stuff about a person in the world. But doesn't, doesn't this describe Everton, though? That's a kind of... You have this haphazard, on a whim, who do we fancy this month kind of mentality towards uh, head coaching appointments. You look at all the different head coaches that have, have um, been appointed during Mashiri's time at the club. They're not just different. They don't necessarily just um, have different philosophies and different ideologies. They're different people with different management styles. <laughs> they are different people. Differently, <laughs> yeah, but they're who are also differently suited to all the other people who are employed by the club. No, for There's sure. There's no joined up thinking. No, I agree with it's, you. It's, it's, I uh, agree with oh, you. Dear. But I also like to colour outside the lines. So, you know, a little bit of a cool guy. Anyway, we've talked shitloads about Everton last week and I can't be bothered anymore. But, you know, best of luck to all Everton fans. Brentford won two Wolves. This was interesting. This is, uh, as reading this from one of the editors, uh, this is a, a piece of story by Tim Spears on The Athletic, and a lovely description of the game. After a drone stopped play, a long stoppage for two serious head injuries, failed refereeing technology, an overturned red card, three goals, a disallowed goal from VAR, a post-match brawl, a red card for a manager, and stoppages totaling more than 35 minutes. This was Brentford versus Wolves. Didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did I. Let's move on. Arsenal nil, Burnley nil. Oh, no, also gonna, didn't watch this. What we're going to talk about the, there? Going to talk about the free well, kick. We're going to talk about the free kick. Tony scored from. There's stuff to talk about. In There's this stuff game. to talk about. You want to talk about it? Okay, so I I did want to talk about the Tony free kick. He's going to. No, he's talking about. I thought Alex, Alex is going to talk well, about. No, it. I mean, I you had your chance, Seb. I I I wrote it onto the plan. So this is haphazard, isn't it? Mine. I can talk about it as a well. A minute ago, he's arguing we should move on. Now he's arguing he gets to I say the thing. I talk about the role of Den Donker in the two Wolves goals. All right, come on, Seb, go on. Colour out other lines. I just want to see more of that kind of set-piece thinking because it looks like a defensive What happened? Mistake. I don't know Actually, what happened. 
So uh, Brian and Bueno free kick finds Ivan Tony at the back of the box. He's free, volley in, goal. Mm-hmm. A goal happened. Uh, it looks like a defensive mistake. Yeah, and you think, how does Ivan Tony get free in that position? Surely he's one of the first players that you look out for. But actually, if you look at it carefully, really, really, really well set uh, attacking screen in the penalty box allows Tony three or four yards space. Haven't they scored loads from throw-ins see- as well, Brentford? They, they, they do their set pieces really yeah. well, don't they? Yeah, I, I, I prefer um, I prefer free kick set piece thinking and originality just because it doesn't depend on someone with a massive Rory Delap style long throw because mm. that's kind of a privilege and a natural advantage. Sure, this one is was just really well practiced, really well honed. Also, you can see the Wolves players trying to struggle through the attacking screen to get to Tony. They see it happening, but they what do they call that in, in basketball? A pick and roll. It's it's not quite that. It's it's they're they're blocking the run. So you have two yeah. Brentford players stood basically shoulder to shoulder, and as the Wolves players look across to what is their right hand side and see Tony peeling away from that, they want to try and get through, but they can't push past those two Brentford players. Yeah, that's a pick and roll. So they're screened. Well, that he's no because he's no, not. Let's let's not push more basketball terminology. Into there's no game. rolling because he's far enough away when it starts. Just. Briefly, going back to the Villa game, it's worth noting that Buendia header from the corner. Mm. Villa have, and I cannot for the life of me remember his name, which is terrible, but they have a fairly new set. Austin McPhee Mm -hmm. is their set-piece coach, and they've scored a couple of really nice goals from corners where one player makes a run away from the front post but towards the corner taker, and that drags defenders a little bit that way. Mm. And then another player peels away into the space ahead of the goal and scores. And that was what Buendia did. So again, Aston Villa thinking well about their set pieces and and maximizing their advantage. Sure, lovely set piece stuff. Originality of set pieces is so interesting to watch because you can kind of obviously track the thinking as you see players running and it's a fascinating area of the game. And you don't see enough coverage about it, really. Well, there we go. Arsenal nil, nil Burnley. I didn't watch this game either, but the reason I've included this is to read this stat that I found on Twitter by Harvey Downs 92. Mm. Harvey Downs 92. If this is true, and I haven't fact-checked it, so it's very possibly there, not true. There was a stat from Orbino as well, was which there? is not dissimilar. And he's an Arsenal fan, so sure. it was within that context. Okay. We'll take this with a pinch of salt because, again, like all the news people in the world at all the major broadcasters, what I've done here is I've just taken a tweet mm. and I'm going to read it to you now. Mm. I haven't fact-checked it. I haven't done anything. I'm just reading something that someone else... Could be anyone. Mm. Is the context clear? I don't know if it's true. If it's but true, we're going to say it anyway. Uh, Burnley are on a run of 111 Premier League games without having a player sent off. Yeah, and that was since Robbie Brady uh, against Huddersfield in January 2019. Does that sound impressive or not? Who could know? Until the tweeter puts it into context for us. The next longest run in the division is Chelsea, who've gone 20 games without having a player sent off. Burnley, 111 games. That's. Uh, the Incredible. St- the stat from Albino was comparing roughly the number of games that Arsenal and Burnley have played in that period. Mm. And they're about, I think Arsenal have committed like 30 fouls more in ever so slightly more games. Wow. And have had like 15 red cards. Yeah. And Burnley have had zero. That's incredible. So, so it is like, it, it's true roughly. It is insane, isn't it? 20 is the next best, as I said, for Chelsea. So there we go. Thank you to Harvey Downs, whoever you are. It is weird, though, because Burnley are a side that are noted for being abrasive and physical. And it does it does seem odd. But sure. um, I don't know, maybe the perceptions that we have of how teams play mm. aren't necessarily the case. Yeah. Or maybe they're very clever at treading a line. I don't know. Clever treaders. Team of Mark Van Bommels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wasn't very clever <laughs> when he went. He got away with it. He got did, away he with did, it yeah, again and again and again. He got away with that. Was that. Fernandinho is another one. Fernandinho is very smart was, when it comes to fouls, but he's never yeah. over the top, Fernandinho. He, this is the thing. They're all little fouls. I always feel little Fernandinho fouls. that that's very controlled, measured aggression. Yeah, there we go. Little fouls, little fouls. Okay, fine. Um, did we go to a second break? 
Yeah. Yeah, fine. In which case then, just before we finish, otherwise we would have just had a quick break there before the end, some European games. The one I was most interested in, of course, was uh, was uh, Elche with 2-0 up against uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid, of course, came back to, uh, you know, spare some blushes to finish 2-2 and keep a point still top of La Liga, I believe. But that was an interesting game. Uh, Sevilla versus Celta happened, of course, uh, as, as well. Is there anything specifically from Europe that you'd like to talk about today, Seb? We're tight on time, just to let you know. No, I, I thought maybe I'd point people in the direction of Guardiola's finish against Wolfsburg for uh, RB Leipzig's yeah. second goal. Mm-hmm. I also really like him as a player, one of those kind of really adventurous defenders who gives the ball into midfield and just carries on running, but also has a has a value when he gets up into the kind of the attacking third. Lovely goal. Lovely, lovely finish. Sure. Can I just say, though, a little bit of a disclaimer there. Seb, you did actually point me in the direction of that goal and then I couldn't find it anywhere. So, you know. But I, you know, I helpful. thought... It is possible that you won't be able to see that. <laughs> I'll DM it to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Actually that's, useful. That's Actually not useful. a euphemism, Seb. That's just what I'm going to do. Oh, God. Let's finish the podcast. Yeah, it's over now. It's over now. Seb Stafford Bloor. Ah, oh, Danke schön. Vielen Dank, Herr Devine. That's right. Alex Stewart, thanking you. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks as usual to producers Sol and uh, Adonis. Oh, I think we've got a freelancer today, but I don't know what their name is. Thanks, freelance producer. You've probably been great. Now, um, that's it. We'll be back next week with uh, JJ Bull the Bullard. Uh, and of course, we'll be talking more about AFCON as the knockout stages advance. Exciting stuff. Uh, until then, goodbye. Goodbye.